Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. The podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Guys, I hope you are well. I hope you're doing great. It is late October. Another great episode for you here today. We have my good friend, Ty Johnson from Kentucky, actually from Colorado, but now in Kentucky, um, one of our very first land plan clients. We did a digital plan with Ty, shoot, years ago now. Um, And we're going to kind of dive into the successes he's been having, some failures he's been having, uh, some stories of some great bucks. His daughter and him have harvested, some turkeys have been getting whacked. Guys, this is a great uh, example of how 25 acres can become a little honey hole. And and I don't really mean little. 25 is a good chunk. I'd love to have 25. Uh, but the way you set it up and the way you can, you can manipulate this stuff with the land plans, with your own knowledge, whatever you choose you want to do, uh, can really make a property hunt bigger, hunt better. And then you add your hunting strategy to it, you know, with smart access and everything else. And you get results like Ty. Um, guys, they've whacked some great deer, uh, bigger deer than most of the guys I know harvest. And I'd love to go down there and shoot one of those, you know, big 150 inch 10 points. Um, so again, Ty Johnson, Kentucky, 25 acres, Habitat Podcast Land Plan. His daughter is a killer, cool, calm, collected. She knows what to do. And uh, his son kills big gobblers as well. So if, if you can't tell, it's uh, when you listen to this, it's a really wholehearted, great conversation just about the best things in 
in life, really. Um, you know, owning ground, managing ground, getting your kids out there, that whole thing. So appreciate you coming back to the Habitat Podcast. Thank you so much. Really do appreciate all the listeners leaving us great reviews. Like I say all the time, I'm sending out free decals to those who just hit the show notes tab on this episode, show notes, go down to leave a review, hit that button and type out something nice, five star hit send. And then I, I, I get it. And we send you a free five inch Habitat Podcast decal. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was our Habitat Podcast land plans. Now, normally we don't start booking these um, for another few weeks yet, but we've already been getting a bunch of interest. If you're interested in having one of our HP land plan land managers come out, you know, Brian, me, Phil, Phil, Zach, we have these guys in these different states located, ready to go. Um, you know, Michigan, we're already, we're already booking out. We're already booking into Q1, Q2 of next year. Uh, Dylan, appreciate you signing up recently. Uh, Josh talking to you like these guys are, are in and just I want to let you guys know that if you're interested in an HP land plan, um, hit us at info at habitatpodcast.com. That email address is info, I-N-F-O, at habitatpodcast.com. Um, the first, it's first come, first serve. We don't take on a ton of these. We're not trying to to be the guys who do the most land plans out there in the world. Um, that's not our, our game. Our game is quality. Our game is uh, kill these nice deer or solve your goals, your, your issues, your goals, whatever this could be. Let's get you down the right path to better hunting, better experience, better habitat for the wildlife. Um, and it'll all come together for you. So if you're interested, habitatpodcast.com slash land plans or just habitatpodcast.com, you'll see it up there. Again, if you scroll down in the show notes, you'll find it there as well. So guys, thank you so much. I just want to thank our partners. We have a brand new partner here at Habitat Podcast, Tagged Out Seed Products. Check them out, link below. See my Facebook. Rich will help you take care of your property if you're in the Southern Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky area. He's the man. So hit him up. Vitalized Seed Company, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Packer Max Cult Packers. I know Lincoln was running a really good sale over at Packer Max, uh, more so than our Habitat Podcast code will even get you. Um, you know, we have a code with Habitat Podcast and uh, Packer Max Cult Packers, HPC25. He's running. A deal is way better than that. So check them out. That's at Packer Max, uh, Morse Nursery, Downburst Cedars, United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties. Guys, we cannot thank our partners enough. Uh, they've been here for a long time to help support the podcast. We appreciate the partners. How you can help with that, if you'd be so kind, you can go check out their websites, check out their Facebooks, give them a like. Tom Habitat Podcast sent you. That goes a long way. Um, it takes 10, 20, 30 seconds. You know, all these products that we sponsor are great products. I've used them myself. I've seen them myself. I've admired them. I've tested them. Uh, we don't we don't do anything on here that 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 would be the opposite of that. So check them out again. Thank you to our partners. And now um, can't wait to tell you about 25 acres in northern Kentucky. Have you guys used a Packer Max Cult Packer yet? I know that being the first partner of the Habitat podcast, I've been using one for over five years now guys cultipacking is one of the highest um rated and highly overlooked part of your food plot system it helps maintain soil moisture keeps it in the soil improves seed to soil contact when you press those seeds into the dirt and ensures superior seed germination for all seed types i do not plant a food plot without cultipacking guys packer max and lincoln over there great 
company, great people. They have five different cultipackers available at packermax.com. And they also have a roller crimper combo attachment for the Packer Max. So that's what I use. I can crimp, I can pack, I can do everything with my Packer Max crimper combo. They even came out with a six foot unit at packermax.com. Guys, be sure to utilize this piece of equipment when you're planting food plots to get the best success in your seed germination. Check them out, packermax.com. We have a code HPC25 at checkout to save money. All right, Ty, welcome to the show, my brother. How you been? Pretty good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. I just got home from basketball. Uh, all three kids were in basketball tonight, so it's uh, 8.34 Eastern time. Glad you were able to jump on with me. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, the night's not over yet, buddy. We're here to talk some deer hunting. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> what are you up to these days? Oh, working and... Uh... Yeah, keeping up with the kids myself. Yeah. So I have three kids, as you know, and so that's uh, that's kind of full time, obviously as well. So yep, I like to say uh, you're in the thick of it, right there with me. <laughs> so let's let's do this, Ty. Let's hear a little bit about who you are, Ty Johnson. You know where you're from, what you do for a living, um, your family history, and then maybe how you got started into into hunting, and then we'll keep moving from there. How's that sound? Sounds good. Yeah. So. Um, I grew up in born and raised in Colorado. So, I mean, I started hunting with my dad since I could walk, uh, pretty much, but, uh, you know, hunting in Colorado and anything, you know, out West is, is quite different than the hunting that I do that people do in the East or I'm, I'm currently in Kentucky. So, uh, it's, it's quite different there. So. Um, I remember going with my dad from as little as I could, could be, um, but there it's just a very different hunting style and technique. I'm sure you've been out West and done some stuff before too, but it's, it's, it's not sitting in tree stands or blinds or anything like that. You know, it's ridgeline to ridgeline and you're hunting these huge parcels of public land, you know, millions and millions of acres. And, uh, and, and it was just a totally different style of hunting. So, um, work by a roundabout way ended me up, uh, in Kentucky. Um, I fly for an airline that's, uh, I'm based in Cincinnati, which for those who don't know the geography, Cincinnati international airport is actually in the state of Kentucky. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of down the road from from the airport there. And when we moved here, I obviously still had a passion and drive for for hunting. And it it became uh, I quickly realized I didn't know what I was doing out here, how you hunt. You know, I would talk to people. It's well, don't you just go walk through the woods like you do in Colorado? And they would just laugh at you. It's nope, that's not the way. So <laughs> Uh, I ended up overhearing a guy at, uh, the church we had been going to say, talking to another guy about hunting. And I just walked over to him and I said, I hear you talking about hunting and you're going to show me how we do it out here. <laughs> and so, uh, he kind of became my, my mentor on, on how to get going out here, how you do it here, the rules and, 
um, you know, all that stuff. At first, uh, I didn't have uh, any of my own land when we first moved here. So we uh, he ended up helping me connect with people who, you know, had a few small farms and I had permission to hunt there and stuff. And I remember my first Kentucky hunt and I, you know, had this, the, you know, that guy had connected me with a, a friend and, and said, yeah, you can come hunt my little 15 acre farm and whatever, he, you know, he took me out a couple of days before and says, I see deer come through this way and that way. And here's kind of how they use the land. And, um, I was like, okay. So I went to Walmart and bought the cheapest blind possible and went and threw it up. I wasn't thinking about wind or anything like that. Cause in Colorado, obviously when you're stalking an animal, you're cognizant of wind, but it's not like our daily effort on locating animals revolved around wind direction or scent as much or anything like that. It was just a totally different world out there. Um, and so I just threw this blind up in the, in the, in this field by a bush <laughs> And as I sat there, I thought, this is just, this is going to be awful. How can people <laughs> hunt like this? But then, you know, as, you know, dusk kind of came around, uh, I started hearing, you know, movement in the tree line. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is getting kind of exciting. Then a deer came out. I was bow hunting at the time and too far for my shot, but it just started the adrenaline pumping. I mean, it was so exciting. And um, I ended up missing a shot on a deer that evening. Um, I had never really practiced shooting from sitting in a chair before, because that, again, was not a thing you did in Colorado. So um, you, uh, you obviously have to practice that. So I missed that night, but it was just so exciting. And I got hooked and I hunted the rest of that season um just on some friends property um and then it kind of I tried to sell uh the family on we need to buy a farm we need to get land <laughs> <laughs> and the wife at the time she was like well we're going to get she wanted to do the hobby farm thing get chickens and ducks and goats and all that fun stuff I was you know I don't care if you get an elephant as long as we can buy some land <laughs> so uh so yeah we ended up getting uh it's about 26 acres um just out of town and the first year hunting there is the same thing i i didn't really know what i was doing um but you know set some blinds up and one evening i was sitting there thinking you know as i stared out at this field it's like there's got to be a way i can utilize this land to somewhat direct deer when and where i want them to be or guide them maybe i could cut some trails or i could do something here or there and kind of get deer to come where i want them when i want them i thought i was reinventing the wheel at this point i'm like how has no one ever thought of this <laughs> <laughs> clearly they had and so um i kind of started researching that and obviously ended up getting a ton of information ended up you know being a well was qdma at the time now i guess it's in national deer association yeah read all those magazines you know obviously just if you google it you're gonna find the jake erlingers and the jeff sturgis's and ended up reading books and and all you know just 
gathering all the information I could to um, to learn about habitat management. And then I think I've been following you guys on your your podcast since day one as well. So yeah, that's kind of the quick and dirty backstory. That's a great backstory. I I can't imagine. Um, you know, I have not spent a lot of time out west hunting yet. I honestly, I'm afraid that I'm gonna like it way too much and have just another obsession that I need to try to you know keep reined in while the kids are young. So I, I'm waiting on that. But like, I can't imagine what it's like going from Colorado where you never stop moving to over here in the Midwest or out east where you sit. You know, was there? Did that shock you at all, or were you kind of real? cool and rolling with the punches you're like i'll do whatever i gotta do oh i i was willing to do whatever i had to do um i just had to hunt even for a short time work took me to like the tampa bay area in florida we lived in saint pete which was a beautiful area it wasn't really for us or the family like long term but when it appeared it was going to be long term before they opened cincinnati as a base and and we checked out kentucky and fell in love with kentucky um i i was still had the bug for hunting and there was a scuba shack just like two blocks down the road from my house that would go out three or four days a week and you could do these uh spear fishing things it's like okay well i'm gonna go hunt in the ocean i guess i just (laughs) i gotta do what i gotta do to go hunting but it, it, it is a lot different and you know, as a kid, it was great in Colorado because that's my two older ones are great now at hunting and they understand being patient. They understand sitting in the blind and and I've become better as as a guide for them now uh, because we'll make sure we bring a book or something for them to do. You know, when we go get set up uh in the blind um you know at like 3 30 and we've got a couple hours before probably anything is going to happen they can read a book or you know they'll take an ipad or something you know and 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 do their thing but you know as a kid it was just it was nonstop excitement in colorado you were always going and doing something you know walking from ridge to ridge and um you know it's like something might be over the just over the next you know, hump in the, in the mountain, you know? And, uh, so it's, it's different trying to help my kids have a fun time. You know, like I say, now my older ones get it. It's like, this is going to be really boring, but when it gets exciting, it's the most exciting thing you could ever do. So, Amen. so, and then I've got a, a six-year-old who's not quite at the point of there's just no way this little tornado could sit <laughs> sit still in a blind at this point, but um, but he'll be he'll be next. And so uh yeah. That's that's awesome. And I guess I do have a quick question before we dive into some of the the uh the nitty-gritty here. What are some of your best tips for bringing your kids to to the blind? Well, first of all, how old are your are your three kids? So I've got twelve year old, a ten year old, and a six year old. Yeah, you're right. I'm right there with you, buddy. So, like, what are your <clears throat> what are your best tips for folks who are you know who might be on the edge? Oh, maybe I'll bring the kid. He's kind of loud. I don't want to spook the chance of this big buck. You know, what what are your tips at that? I got a couple up my sleeve as well that I use. I bring my kids all the time, but what what are what's your advice? Because uh, as you'll hear later in this podcast, 
um, it seems to be working. Man, patience. And I've always been a very, I guess, competitive hunter. Not that I'm competing with anybody else or, you know, trying to get the buck with the biggest rack. I mean, obviously that's my goal, but you know, I've been very gung ho. So before I introduced the kids to hunting, which now the easiest thing to do is sit in the blind with them. You know, we could maybe do like one of those double seated tree stands, but just to be able to, you know, spread out, we, we use the blinds mostly, but before that I was hardcore into saddle hunting and I got really into that because it was just, to me, it seemed one of the most competitive ways to hunt. And I have always just been like, you know, and when we would go hunting with dad, it was like, he was a little more laid back and it's like, no dad, we need to get up at 4am and we need to hunt until we can't see outside anymore. And he's like, <laughs> maybe we should just grab a sandwich in town or something. And he, he's always been a little more laid back and I've always been very competitive and that did not help me introduce the kids to hunting <laughs> because they don't care. They're just kind of hanging out, you know, having fun. Um, I remember a, a failure moment, to be honest, which is a good teaching moment, a failure moment that I had as a dad. Uh, my older boy, he's now 12, but I think at the time he was, I don't know, eight, maybe nine. And this nice buck comes through this, just we're, we're hunting this place. If I can paint the picture, it's, it's a little clearing in the woods and it's a great place for bucks to move earlier in the day versus kind of the food plots and the open fields. So there's not even a food plot there, but it's kind of like an interstate uh, in the woods, but there's a bit of an opening. So it's about 30 yards long by like maybe 10 yards wide. So there's not a lot of um, clearing, but the bucks will move through there in daylight more often. Uh, so this buck, I saw him, you know, kind of coming out of the, out of the trees to get into this clearing. And I pat my little guy on his shoulder. It's like, there's a big bucks coming. And he, he puts, he, we have used crossbows a lot, uh, with the kids. So he puts the crossbows up and, and gets, gets in the sights and this buck kind of comes in and he stops about 20 yards away, but he doesn't really stop enough. Um, it's something that would have been a chip shot for me, but for him, he never got on it. And it, it was one of those situations that happen all too often with hunting. You know, a big buck will give you a shot opportunity for about 10 seconds. Yep. And that's what he had. And he couldn't pull the shot off in time. And as the buck walked away, I looked at him and I was like, what went, what are you doing, buddy? He's like, I don't know. Like I couldn't, I couldn't like make sure I was lined up. Right. And I, I, he didn't stop long enough. And I was like, I just buried my head in my hands in frustration. And he could tell I was frustrated. And then he kind of beat himself up and man, looking back, you know, obviously at the end of the day, I was like, good job for not taking a shot that you weren't sure of, you know, I acknowledge that for sure. But I, I still look back on that night. So angry at myself for, for even being frustrated, you know, when really he made a great decision, not taking a shot. He wasn't a hundred percent sure of, 
And so I think just bringing that patience um, to the table for, for kids is, is the biggest thing. And, and just letting them have fun. And, you know, I can sit there and sit still and be quiet for hours, but, you know, kids can't, they need a snack. Um, they're, they're gonna, you know, just, just test everything about, um, your patience and hunting that they can. And the more I've learned is just, just let them have fun, you know, and that, and that's what it's about because, you don't want to make it to where you're so focused on on getting the big buck or take everything to the extreme with uh, everything you can do, which I would do if I went on my own, that that it takes the fun out of it, you know? And yeah, yeah I, I know what you're saying. Um, great, great story there. I mean, not not great looking back on it. You know, you you, you wish you would have done things different, but. Dude, to be honest with you, I would have, I'm sure I would have done something fairly similar um, in the heat of the moment, all jacked up on adrenaline. Like you want your kid to succeed so bad and and I get it. So I don't know. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you're looking back on it and, and, and tell it as a, as a failure, but I also can commiserate with you a little bit and, and probably realize that, you know, you're probably not the lone guy who gets a little bit you know, excited with the, with the sound on the blind, trying to make something happen. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but I, I do think that, um, you know, coaching and, and, and not rushing and, you know, the situation could have been worse, like you said. So the fact yeah. is you know, you're passionate about it. He's now passionate about it and uh, things are moving in the right direction. So I don't know. Yeah. I think it was a learning experience overall, for sure. Well, and I've had um, both my older kids have gotten several deer now and I've had moments where I have kind of pushed them to rush the shot, I guess. You know, it's like, okay, there you go, buddy. There you go. There you go. Take the shot. And it's like, I'm not meaning to say, do it when you're not comfortable. I'm meaning to say that's your, this is your opportunity. And it's like by communicating that they think they just need to shoot right now. And we've had situations where I, I think I, I'm like, I think I've rushed them and they end up not having a perfect shot. And then we're trailing a deer for two hours because, you know, or even one year we had to get a tracking dog for my daughter, which actually was half the fun for her. She loved it when this tracking dog came in. That was a pretty cool experience, but um, born out of a bad situation because she shot a little too far back and I probably rushed her. Um, so with it, you know, I obviously just, uh, my daughter, uh, just got that deer, um, a couple days ago. And with that, I said, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything. I, she knows, you know, she knows at this point and when she's ready, she'll take the shot. Um, and I didn't, didn't rush at all. Just, just packed plenty of patience with me in my backpack and, and the deer didn't go 30 yards. Well, so. yeah, I, I want to get to that. I want to, I want to, we have a couple stories throughout your, your past few years here. Um, I think you're, you're really between you and the kids becoming a bunch of killers on a, on a fairly small piece of piece of property, um, which is, which is awesome. It's what we talk about here all the time. So let's do this, Ty. Let's talk about kind of the shape of your 26 acres, kind of, you know, how it lays out, um, you know, some of the features where the house is, that sort of thing. Kind of paint us a picture if you don't mind. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, pretty much a square, maybe 
rectangular more than square, but fairly square. Um, and it is a great property. You know, when we bought it, I didn't know what I know now, but but man, what a blessing that it it lays the way it lays and the features it has. But it's got really good topography. Um, so our far, it's basically the side of a of a hill, right? So the top, the the northwest corner is is like the highest point. And from there, it all kind of rolls downhill to the south and it rolls kind of downhill with some other, you know, topography features to the to the east. Then on the east side, there's um, a creek that runs through it. And that's kind of our eastern border. And then on the south side, which I don't really go there to hunt, that's where the road is. But on the far south side is... Uh, uh, almost a river, I'd say. Um, there's, it, it's a great mix of wooded and and fields, but just great fields for putting in just small food plots. Um, and then the the forested area I've maintained with. Um, I mean, I guess I could say TSI. You know, I'm I'm no Grant Woods or anything like mm-hmm. that, but but. You know, just maintaining the trails and, um, you know, I, I've i done some feathering in there and put in a, a few spots, actually, not that it's big enough to call it a sanctuary, but a few areas where natural vegetation is just growing. And I never go in there to hunt or anything like that. Just for the little, you can keep pressure off of a 25-acre farm. There's a couple spots in there that allow them to use that land with without pressure so introducing downburst cedars guys downburst cedars deliver precision small seed spreading for all of your food plot and screening needs they are lightweight durable and easy to maneuver i met doug up at his house and we tested a downburst cedar in his garage reweighed the amount of seed did the math and they are extremely accurate if you're trying to plant small seeds clovers brassicas rape you know it takes the guesswork out of cover cropping I mean, the proper seed rate for alfalfa, switchgrass, any other small seeds. Check them out today at downburstseeders.com. We do have a code if you're a Habitat podcast listener, there's HP10. Eliminate the seed waste. It's ground wheel driven, very accurate, very light, aluminum, can throw it in the bed of your truck. Check them out, guys. We already have listeners purchasing these products. Doug at downburstseeders.com. We'll be happy to answer any questions you have. They are literally a piece of art made here in Northern Michigan. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Yeah, and and what I liked about it, um, the topography, and I guess any topography on any parcel really makes it hunt a lot bigger. You know, we we were mm-hmm. never there in person, but you were one of our very first land plan clients, and um, you know, you sent us plenty of pictures and video and everything else to get us the lay of the land. And you kind of have, like you said, it's very diverse. I mean, the hillside up front versus the timber off to like the northeast. And you got the fields up top. It drops back off again to the west. Um, Do you find those deer are using the top and the ridges most in your particular area? Not really. I mean, they use them. We do have a, a blind set up on that um right on that northwest corner so they do and that's because there's a food plot there um they will come in through there but the uh you know trail camera data shows they they're they're using all of it so awesome pretty yeah yeah i mean and that's that was some of the some of the goal here i know you know with with your parcel i don't i won't get too far into it but i know we did you know you had timber work to do in terms of the bush honeysuckle um mature can yeah. timber uh how's that coming along <laughs> well the honeysuckle um it's just overwhelming but um we did go in and clear out a few areas and it, it was kind of a fun project with my son because i would go in with the chainsaw and cut down a honeysuckle bush and then he would be right behind me with uh i mean i forget what you used on it um i don't know if it was just uh gly or what but then he would spray it spray the stump and then we'd just kind of move along like that and you kind of got more knocked out than you thought but you know you'd work an hour and look back and you're like oh my gosh we're (laughs) never gonna win this battle (laughs) but yeah in a lot of areas we did do that and like i said those are some of the areas too where we've just kind of stayed out of and not hunted you know and it allows with that honeysuckle canopy gone it allows some vegetation natural vegetation to just grow up in those areas exactly exactly and i think um you know we i talked to a lot of nrcs agents and uh enforcers and it's a it's you know everybody always talks about control the invasives control the invasives and i've even had you know a guy tell me on my 15 acres he's like you're gonna kill all the autumn olive on your 15 that's great what are your neighbors doing i'm like oh nothing i don't know nothing he's like yeah exactly he's like that's a problem he goes it's you know we have we have you know brush management we have the program we appreciate that um but he was he's very candid he's like in the long run you're you know, you're probably, you know, pissing in the wind type thing. Um, <laughs> and, and and I hate even saying that, but it's it's a reality of the statement coming from an NRCS agent. It's like, you know, if you're on a bigger farm, maybe, you, you know, you can control more of the destiny yourself. Uh, I still urge people to to do it. There's better natives that are going to come up. But um, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for sure. So I commend you for doing what you did do. And, uh, you know, did you do any any hinge cutting or, t- or other TSI work on the upper half of that? I guess would be the uh, northwest. I'm sorry, the east facing hillside again on the northern parcel, kind of that big ridge that dropped off from your field area. Yeah, so there's a lot of pretty nice edge feathering and that's uh one thing that i've done i originally had it you know almost uh wall to wall like a tree line to tree line food plot right but i've lessened the food plot and then just allowed a lot of native stuff to grow up and i mean it it's great edge feathering and you will 
when you see a big buck, he'll come out into that edge feathering type area and just kind of mill around for a second before he ever steps foot in the food plot. I mean, he doesn't, they don't just walk right through that edge feathering. They kind of take their time. But yeah, after uh, you guys did that land plan with me, that's one of the things I did as well is, is hinge cut some trees um, and even let them kind of fall in the direction that when they come out of the the tree line, it kind of leads them up into the food plot yep. where we have a stand, you know? So I did quite a bit of that. I love it. I love it. And I mean, the fact that you, you have deer using the whole parcel, you know, and not just, you know, any certain parts uh, means in my eyes, the plan's coming together. You know, when you're on 25 acres and you have a house and the, you know, kind of the center of the lower half, you have some limiting factors. And the fact that you're making this work is, is awesome. Um, tell me about your, your food plots. How's that been going? Um, it's pretty good. Um, I didn't get much done this year. Um, but, um, because I had been managing it well enough and and with things like to give you guys a, a shameless plug vitalized seed just ma managing it i didn't have time this year to really go or the ability to go to do a ton with the food plots this year but as i started kind of preparing for season and went out a few times like there you know the diversity that is still coming up in there is amazing and so uh you know, the hard work I've put in for, for several years allowed me to be in a position that I have to be in now where I wasn't able to get there much this year to, to reseed and, and do all the stuff that I like to do. But, um, but they're honestly, they're actually still looking good. So that's awesome. And and that's kind of why that whole system was created. So we do appreciate the, the shameless plug, um, <laughs> you know, but like, to your point, there's only so much we can do with with kids and work and and time and and everything else. Uh, what was interesting and what I find interesting is you know doing the land plan with you. This was back in 2020. You you wrote in. I only have 25 acres. I'm located in northern Kentucky. My main goals are just to improve the attractiveness of my property for deer and turkey. I've been doing habitat improvements little by little for the past three years. Mature bucks are definitely my goal, but my kids and wife are starting to get into hunting. So rather than just the biggest buck in the woods, you know, so your goals were to increase the shot opportunities for the wife and the kids. So I, I want to go to your your first, the first picture you sent us, which I think was two years ago with your son. Help me out here. When was that exactly? Or was that like, I don't know. Because he got, what's that? I'm thinking it was two years ago. Um, the, the very first one, we shot that real nice buck up top. Oh, my daughter shot a really nice buck. She shot a couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's always besting her brother. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's get into the kind of the first parts of this, this story, the system when you, when you're seeing, you know, the results, I know you're, I think your son shot that Turkey up top, which is what I'm thinking of. Um, oh yeah yeah that was yep. right that was right there you know april 2020 right after it happened and then uh things started going the right way for you then you know yeah yeah he does he always gets giant turkeys <laughs> so yeah Let, let's hear about the uh one of the one of the first good buck hunts you had up there with with your kids i know you've you've done well yourself up there so um yeah 
tell us a story about how some of these habitat improvements of your of your doing here have have you know come to fruition for you oh yeah and it it has it's one of those things with even though your goal is deer all wildlife are typically going to like it more as well so uh yeah, turkey hunting has improved vastly as well. I mean, turkeys are constantly using that uh, that ridge line. Uh, they almost religiously they they actually it's kind of funny they roost on my neighbor's property for the most part to the east. Um, but then they'll come down and they'll just walk straight out to that that field up there. Um, you know, and if there's clovers there, which I usually will go throw some frost seed and clovers out there, uh, they'll be in there almost every morning. So, yeah. How about that, that first buck you shot that fall? That would have been November of 2020. That would be, um, I'm going through our text here. That would be the, uh, it's a big nine point that I got. Yep. Um, like late, late November, November 24th ish. You shot a nice nine point. Okay. Yeah. I think that one was just at kind of the same place that I was describing earlier, I think it was used in, I used a stand kind of in that uh, small opening in the woods where, like I said, it's, it's like an interstate where it's, I've got trails leading from basically every direction through the woods. There's no food plot there, but all the trails lead to and from a food source. And like I say, regularly I'll see big mature bucks utilize that location um in daylight hours more than out in the fields so i i think i got him there as well very nice yeah kind of racking my brain there <laughs> I know, I'm, back I'm, going back, I'm going back like three years on you like hey remember this <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't we don't get you know our land plan guys on here enough and and talk to them and and kind of you know go through their thought process and the, and the successes and failures. And, and I, I want to start doing that more. So we're kind of testing the waters here with Utah. I know, uh, I know your daughter, Kay also, what you just corrected me on was October of 21 shot that big 10 point where, um, I got a picture. There's a dog in there. There's you and her giant 10 point. Yeah. I mean, um, tell, tell that story. Why do you think, you know, that buck was where it was, where were you on the property? Um, you know, how are these things coming together for you on this small parcel in Kentucky? So that one actually, that one was in that same spot um, nice. where, um, and obviously we're also hunting based on wind. And so we, we have two or three blinds that we'll use based on wind. And so when the wind is out of the north, we will almost always go to that spot like I say, where it's just, there's no food plot, but it's just, a, it's a great spot in the woods. Um, it actually, it's honestly probably like a, if you're not trying to be quiet, it's probably a three minute walk from the house. So, um, <clears throat> it also kind of spoils us, but, uh, that, that one was in that location as well. And like I say, I think for mature bucks, um, I think just getting to a place where they're utilizing the property in daylight more 
um, on that hunt, just like this one the other day as well, we didn't necessarily set out with that as the goal. I mean, we were just looking to, to put some meat in the freezer and, uh, yeah, my daughter Kay is just good luck, I guess. <laughs> and so, so she, uh, we, like, we both went out just the wind was right for that blind. Um, we had that big buck on camera. We always knew it was an option, but, um, there was also does utilizing that, uh, well before sunset. Um, and so we honestly thought we'd probably just go in there and you know if we were lucky probably just tag out you know before the sun even set uh with a doe but lo and behold there was no does came in and it was like oh my gosh we're gonna get skunked we've got these things on camera all the time uh is the wind not what we thought it was did it shift since we've been in here or what's going on and then just out of nowhere that that giant buck shows up and Again, that was one of those retrospective bad dad moments where, I mean, I was hyperventilating with buck fever, but she was the one with the, with the weapon. And so it was like, okay, take the shot, take the shot. (laughs) And she shot and she got it a little bit further back than we thought. Um, um, But as far as the habitat portion, you know, that's, that's consistently been the spot that we have got um, the best buck action. You know, they a lot of people talk about, you know, be where don't necessarily hunt the food plot, which you want. Everybody wants to hunt the food plot as well. But a great place to also be is when they're coming to and from. And like I say, that that area is just an interstate. All the trails are coming to and from food sources um i'm not a bedding expert but i know they're bedding in that area as well especially like when we get a dusting of snow uh and i can kind of do a post season scout i can walk through and see they are also there's bedding in all these wooded areas here and there um so they're bedding there they're using those trails and and when we luck out with a big buck Man, it's it's regularly there, not just sitting over a food plot. Even though we hunt those too, and uh, and always that's fun because you usually see a lot more in that area. But um, yeah, she got she that big guy just happened to walk in, and um, she she got him. You know, we did the typical high five, and I kind of marked the time on my phone. We gave it about an hour. Um, then it's like, okay, um, you know, let's, let's go find your arrow. We found the arrow. It was, it looked like decent blood. Um, and then we just, we start tracking it and we, um, we run out of blood and it's, that's like, I don't know where we go from here. So we decided to back out and try again in the morning with light. Um, but that evening I had, kind of texted around if anybody had a dog and ended up connecting with this gal that has this tracking dog in the area. And we went back out the next afternoon and it was a, you know, not that you want to have a shot that leads to that situation, but, uh, 
it was a really cool experience having a tracking dog. And, and my daughter, who, of course, is an animal lover, she rides horses and loves animals, also loves to shoot big bucks, but <laughs> is an animal lover. She <clears throat> she loved that experience. It was pretty cool. And that the deer actually never went that far. It was just I think it had done what they do. You know, it had zigzagged through the woods enough um, from where we shot it to where we found it was maybe 150 yards. And and the dog found it within about 20 minutes, I think. So it was wow. it was a pretty neat experience. Yeah, I've I've used a dog uh one time before and man, it was it was uh pretty neat is is a great way to say it. Um yeah, they can save your tail sometimes. And uh, you know, it's not always the shot doesn't always have to be bad either. Like a little right. it's, it's a game of angles and inches. And if you're just a little bit off, it's it can be tough with these big tough deer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, you're she's not even done yet. So Kay the Killer comes back <laughs> October, what, 18th this year, I guess. So two years later, kills another giant ten point. Yeah. Yowzers, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. We uh what did you create with that little gal? I don't know. It, <laughs> uh, yeah. Watch out, boys. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah. This um yeah, this hunt uh, a couple days ago with her, um, that was another thing. It was just an afternoon hunt. We knew that that big guy that she got was on camera, and it <clears throat> it, it was probably, I would say, the target buck for for the farm, uh, you know, and I think that's an important thing to say too. you know, people have to put their expectations where they belong, you know, like a nice 10 point, 130, 40, 50 incher for us, that's a great buck in this area, you know, and we're not on a farm in Iowa, you know, with 30 acres of soybeans and 200 inch deer every, every, everywhere, you know, so, uh, when you're picking your target buck or excited about a buck, you, you know, you can't, you know, look at a magazine cover <laughs> and, and wait for that guy. You got to be happy with, with what is there, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was this, uh, yeah, I guess the 18th, it was, it was a really fun hunt. Um, we got in there <clears throat> again. I, I always probably get us in there too early, especially for kids. But we get in there, you know, she's reading her book and and playing around and we're, you know, just sitting there and then things kind of start getting a little exciting. So we had and they're both, you know, it's like on the first hunt, I basically if it's brown, it's down for a kid's first hunt. You know, both my kids, the first deer that was available, they both shot the very first one. Um, but then it's like, OK, you've done that now. Now we're only going to shoot big mature does or nice bucks you know they don't have to be record book bucks but just we're not going to shoot a spike you know and that's just our choice and we know we can do it and it's not wrong if anybody does um but we were we were set up in that same location when was kind of annoying actually it was uh very light and variable um but the majority of it was out of the north uh if you had to pick a direction so again we went to that stand and it, again it was just a quick evening hunt that we had time for and i actually had stuff i needed to do that evening so after we shot this buck it's like oh well, now all my plans are messed up but um we uh we went in there and about 
oh, six o'clock or so. Um, I kind of see out of the corner of my eye uh, some deer coming from east to west, kind of coming up the hill into this clearing. You know, I tap her on the leg. Okay, here comes some deer. And and once they kind of are fully visible, we can tell that they are this year's does. And it's like, okay, they're too little. And she's like, yeah, I'll pass. And then um, and then we saw a big doe come into the little clearing and the the doe just really wouldn't give us the right shot angle well then a spike buck comes in so it was just action-packed but her only target deer at the time was the doe and it just wasn't giving us a shot and so uh, we're sitting there watching just kind of waiting for a shot on the big doe and the 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 spike um actually i think it was just a little four-pointer he you can tell he's starting to wind us and he starts licking his nose and all that stuff and getting a little uh on edge and i i don't know he just kind of jumped and did their little goofy stuff when they start to get antsy and that scared the doe and the two small ones off he kind of ran off into the woods and then it's like well shoot well at least that that was a pretty fun encounter and Kay took it in great stride and she's like yeah that was fun well then the little buck kind of comes wandering back and then something spooks him and he just busts off into the woods and it's like i feel like that wasn't us i feel like he it's not like he got antsy because of us but he just ran off well that's strange okay um and then it was beyond our eyesight to see what was causing it, but we saw this bush just getting rocked. I mean, this bush is getting shaken everywhere. You can hear scratching on it. And I'm like, okay, that's a buck leaving a scrape right there on that bush. But all we can see is the bush. And she's like, you think? I'm like, that's my only guess. And then the next thing you know, that big guy comes around the corner and just starts walking directly to us. Wow. And <clears throat> now he's head on because he, he's walking directly to us. Well, at that time, uh, the two little ones and the mom, I guess, the, the big doe come back and he kind of, but they're still in the tree line. He kind of wanders off into the, to the eastern tree line and it's like, well, crud, he's gone. And then the big doe comes back in and actually gives Kay a shot. And she's like, oh, that big doe is back. And I look, I can, I have a different vantage point than her being able to see out the blind into this tree line. I said, that big buck is still there if you want to wait. And she's like, I don't know, should I? I'm like, I don't know if he'll come back or not, but you know, it's, it's up to you. Um, and so she kind of waited and and no sooner did she make the decision to wait and see if that big buck would come back through he started walking this way and so he walked um he walked back into the that really small clearing but now he was maybe 20 yards away and the doe was parallel with him at like 22 yards away so they were basically back to back and he just stood there broadside, but with that doe right behind him. And this was a proud dad moment. I didn't even have to say anything. And 
my daughter knew not to take that shot. You know, she, you know, even with the crossbow, she knows it's, it's going to go through this guy and then just injure the other one. Right. And so, uh, I was pretty proud how patient she was because that went on for what seemed like 45 minutes. I'm sure it was five or six minutes, but, uh, it, it just, it took forever and she just waited patiently and we're both sitting there almost hyperventilating and, (laughs) you know, the, the buck fever is starting to turn into the flu at this point. (laughs) And, uh, finally that big buck stepped forward. What he actually did is he went up to lick a branch and leave a scrape. Cause when we went out there later, you could see he had been scraping on this particular branch before and and leaving uh just giant scrape marks there so he went up to lick a branch to start the uh his scrape and as he reached up he was about you know a whole deer length in front of the doe behind him and i i just whispered i said okay i said that's a pretty good shot Kay. and she took her time she wasn't rushed um and as he was extended out licking that branch she fired and like he ran off into the woods. We heard him crash and, and, you know, we of course waited a while and actually we went back to the house and kind of unpacked a little bit and, you know, got everything and, and went back out and yeah, he, he didn't go 30 yards, man. I have to say your, your, um, your patience between you and the kids has to be, has to be just high level. I mean, to be able to sit there for five to six minutes, shoot, say it was even two minutes without Buck standing there. Um, that's pretty wild. That's congratulations on uh, to her and to you and another great great time point i don't care you know anybody who listens would be happy with that buck right there buddy that's yeah. awesome yeah i just i just commend you guys for for the patience and the the right shot opportunities i think you're teaching them the right way so well done yeah what do you think um some of the best habitat improvements maybe top two top three you've done since the beginning since you bought it uh have been yeah i think like i say putting in a trail system that the deer are going to use within any timber um and i just let them tell me like when i bought the property um the guy before me owned a bush hog and he kind of bush hogged some fields or whatnot just to knock it back so to speak so he bush hogged a few fields but he didn't manage anything in the timber. Um, and so I just went through and scouted and said, where are the deer using these trails? How are they using these trails? And then I improved those trails. And sometimes, well, not sometimes, regularly, I would kind of redirect them the direction I wanted them to go. Um, and so so just setting up a good trail system. And like I say, a trail system that you can also hunt that trail system occasionally um, to get them going, you know, from a food source to bed or vice versa, I think is a great place to, to hunt. Um, obviously you'll have stuff set up on your food plots as well, but, uh, being able to figure out how you can access and hunt some of those trails that you set up is a big one. Um, obviously when I first started, you know, I'm a boy from Colorado, from the mountains. I know nothing about farming. So I I had nothing. I had no idea how to farm. 
So when I started the whole food plot thing, you know, if you just kind of Google it, there was no uh, no till food plotting information. You know, it was like till the heck out of the ground and do this and do that. You know, it was all the conventional process, which works. But um, so I started that way with just completely, you know, spraying everything with all kinds of chemicals, um, you know, tilling everything to death, uh, taking a soil test to the local resource office or whatever, and then dumping fertilizer in there. Um, and I'm not necessarily knocking that, but the best thing for me was switching to a more, uh, of the, the no-till type of practice, um, where you're building that soil health and stuff like that, um, for several reasons. One, it gets great results when it's done right. And anybody trying to make that switch definitely needs mentors people that because everybody has different equipment you know um there's a guy that i i follow as well um and i've talked to him on the phone several times uh and and he's great at this no-till stuff but he's got the fanciest equipment that you have out there when he goes out to no-till he's probably got a hundred grand worth of equipment on his tractor and his his um you know call to packer and no-till drill and his roller crimper and all this fancy stuff. And it's like, well, I don't have that. And so I think getting a mentor that can help you be like, well, I have X, Y, Z equipment. How do we do it with that? How would you do it with this? Um, I think that was big. Um, so switching to that, um, it, it gets great results. Um, you know, you get the diversity of food, um, which I know when I started, I wanted the the beautiful uh, clover field that you could put on, you know, a food plotting magazine. But come to find out, that's not really the best answer always. You know, that's it, it, a good food source, but this diversity and stuff is is important as well. Um, and the other thing, selfishly, is once you're kind of set up and doing it right it saves time and money. And, and of anything to me, my most valuable commodity is time, man, I don't have time for anything. And so if I'm going in there and then spraying and then going back in another time and drilling, uh, tilling, and then going back in another time and spreading and then cult packing and doing all this, I might have a food plot you could put on a magazine. And I have had those food plots, but if I'm, using the no-till technique correctly, um, I'm not having to to do all that. And I'm not as worried about having a food plot that you could put on a magazine per se. Um, And so the other thing that we had with that farm, like I say, I knew nothing when we bought it and I I didn't realize how blessed I was that we got what we got, but all my soil samples have come back. And for the most part, we have great soil. Um, that property had never been like commercially farmed, um, anything like that. And so I've done, um, a lot of, uh, soil samples and they all come back good. Um, I even have done one with 
you guys know Jason Snavely. Um, he does like an organic organic test and like tests for carbon. And I'm sure Al know, and it, he's kind of like talking to Al. They're just in this very special world of extremely intelligent when it comes to soil health. Um, yes, he, he he tries to measure CO two bursts. Yeah, and so measuring the CO and. Everything has come back. The, the soil itself is already good. And so the best way to ruin that is to till the heck out of it, spray chemicals all over it. And, I, you know, I'm not some hippie that I like don't want to use a chemical or whatever, but but it's it's also can't be great. Um, and a couple of years ago, we also got bees about four years ago. We got bees. Really? Um, and these bees were all over my clover and stuff. And it's like, well, if I'm going to go spray, you know, and the bees are going to be affected, everything's going to be affected if I go spray these chemicals everywhere. And there is definitely still a use. You know, I've got a big giant sprayer on my tractor and I'm not going to say I never used it or am not going to ever use it or spot spray stuff. But there's definitely a use and a need for chemicals when you need to. But just to say, hey, I'm going to go out on the tractor and spray this stuff all over when there's a different, better way to do it and and get great results. And so for me, switching to things like vitalized seed, I promise Jared is not paying me for all the listeners out there. <laughs> um, switching to a product like that where it's set up to help you succeed in the no-till part of of food plotting has probably been the the best thing for me. I I mean obviously you, you hit on I don't know six different touch points there that I I'm over here nodding my head. Um time and money, right? Time, the biggest constraint I have. Um I've been doing this no-till thing way before Vitalize was even an idea, you know, years. And you're using the old KFP stuff, um, spray and throw and mow, all of that. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, My property is an hour and 10 minutes away or or was prior to me selling it. But so, yeah, I I fully agree on on all that. And then the biology in the soil, like you're saying, uh, measuring the CO2 burst is is kind of a way to to measure the living and breathing uh, bacteria and, and organisms in your soil. If you will, um, there's a there's a there's a whole nother rabbit hole there. Um, but just I guess the whole point of vitalize is just to make things simpler for people. And and you know I appreciate you 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 saying that. Um, we've had a so so much good humble feedback that we are just we're just blessed, man. We're we're very happy and very proud. And uh, and you're you're another one. So so we do appreciate that. Um, yeah. You know, I just it, everything you can do to help better yourself moving forward, you know, saving time, saving fertilizer costs, not having to till all this stuff just it adds up, you know, go go watch a basketball game with your kid instead or or whatever it could be. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I obviously I'm sold. So appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So, Ty, I have I have I usually wrap this up with a rapid fire question segment. Is there anything you want to cover before we hit this rapid fire question segment? No, let's let's do it. Rock and roll, buddy. 
All right. If you are just hanging out, what is your favorite go-to beverage? Oh, man. Um, I'm kind of weird as a guy. I like wine. Well, I don't think that's weird. Okay. Okay. Well, what kind of yeah. wine? You like red wine or white wine? Red wine. Yeah, me too. What kind? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is going to sound fun. My current favorite one is Snoop Dogg just came out with a line of wine. So there's a Snoop Dogg red wine. It's called Cali Red, and it, it's amazing. It is very <laughs> delicious. My wife loves it uh, a lot. It's by I think it's called Nineteen Crimes, right? Yeah, yeah, Nineteen Crimes. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's a great choice. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think you're weird. I uh, I can appreciate a nice glass of red with a nice steak. You know. Yeah. And moving right down the list to that next portion, the next steak, maybe. What's your favorite venison recipe? What do you guys do with all this venison, these giant bucks you guys are harvesting? I have never cooked one. My, you know, the wife always cooked them, but nice. it was in, involved butter and bacon. And I think <laughs> the biggest, the biggest tip as we were learning to do this um, is not overcooking it. I think that is really what turns people off is they think it's, you know, oh, this is wild meat. We have to cook the heck out of it. So I think just not, uh, not overcooking it. I could not agree more. I tend to go rare, medium rare all the time. And, uh, usually nobody is disappointed. So well, well said. Um, when you guys are hunting, whether it's you or your kids, you guys tend to use fixed blade broadheads or mechanical broadheads? Mechanical. Which one in particular? I'm just curious. So we used that Rage Extreme for several years. Yep. Um, with its, uh, what did they call it? I mean, it's got part of it is a fixed blade. And then there's a, a there's like a seven eighths inch fixed blade. And then um, like a two inch mechanical I forget what they call that, but uh, we use that. And it I mean, it definitely uh, gets you a wound channel for sure. Um, the last couple of years, we have switched to four. And, th and they're not as well known, I don't think. But I don't know if there's the oh, style we use. What? Is it, is it? You said Thorn? Yeah. Yeah. Thorn. Yeah. My buddy Mike shoots those. Mike's probably listening right now. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So yeah, the thorn, the one we use, like the blades are completely enclosed. It's it's almost got like a field point type accuracy. And that's that's the reason I switched is because we were getting giant wound channels with the other, and we do with thorn as well. But um it seemed like you know, with those bigger ones, maybe. Maybe it was just luck, but there was a couple times where we had to track deer uh, further than expected, you know, and it was like, man, the shot wasn't quite perfect. But with these, um, it's it, I mean, it definitely leaves an excellent, uh, you know, wound channel, but I think the accuracy of it is better. And maybe it's just, you know, whatever, but it seems to be able to be more accurate. No, I like that. I, how about, um, I mean, I, I, I may know the answer to this considering the land plan, but what do you like to sit in most? Preset pre tree stands, uh, preset blinds, or do you like to hunt mobile? Because you, you mentioned the saddle, which I thought was interesting. Well, since I'm now basically been uh, sent to be the permanent hunting guide for the kids, probably <laughs> for the next 15 years or so, <laughs> 
um, with them. And maybe as they get older, I guess that could probably evolve. But with them being the primary focus of the hunt, it's a blind. Um, I tried a tree stand with my older boy one of the first times he went, and and even just the double one, it's just not as as easy for them. And then you know they can't sit perfectly still, so they're moving around. So a tree stand is not is not the way to go for my kids. Um, so we have pretty much gotten into the blinds. If I ever got to go for myself, my preferred method uh, is saddle hunting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right, though. Blinds, um, as much as I hate sitting inside of a blind, uh, the value or the advantages outweigh what my personal beef may be, right? Like, mm -hmm. like you're hiding and, and containing so much more. Um, man, and then especially if it's raining, that doesn't suck either, but... Uh, what type of saddle are you using? It, um, man, I haven't gotten it out of the box in so long. I forget. Yeah, I think it's the one of the tethered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, I used that a ton when, before my kids started being like, "Well, I want to go hunting." Uh, man, it, and it's a blast. It, <laughs> I was just thinking the other day. There's, there was this, uh, this setup that I had um, on this one tree, and you would be there right as kind of the sun was coming up, but. If if I was doing a morning hunt, I'd get in during dark and man, the way I could sit in that saddle and there was another tree limb that I could lean back on. I'd legit just go back to sleep and wait for the sun <laughs> to come up, man. It was. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, I'm telling you what, the more I, the more you hunt in them, the more comfortable they become and just like natural. Um, I'm starting yeah. to get more and more comfy in mine as well. Um there is a big learning curve to them, you know, uh, it, it's kind of like the no-till, you know, method. You need to get a mentor, you know, someone like you guys or Al that you can text. You're like, how do I get, how do I do this with the, with, you know, this equipment for a no-till food plot? Um, it, it's the same with saddle hunting. You got to have someone that is kind of walking you through a little bit or helping you get some ideas or, you know, obviously YouTube is good too, but it, it's, you can't just try it once, you know, you kind of got to give it a minute. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think, um, you know, I know, I know a few folks who've tried the saddle and they're like, yeah, it's not for me. I like the tree stand. Um, I, I get it. You know, on a tree stand for 20 something years, uh, right. but it's like anything you, you, you got to, give it some time and, and keep at it for a minute and you I, i've realized that <clears throat> i'm able to to hunt anywhere i want to with that saddle like, it, like there is no you know there's no non area that, that i can't get up in um some trees work better than others and this and that um but for for mobile hunting and trying to put a surprise on a on a big deer which you need to do um it works out great so i yeah I agree with you. yeah how about this? How about food, water, or cover? What do you think is most important on your 25 acres? You can only pick one. Like that I need to improve or which one is the most valuable right now? Mm -hmm. um, how about both? I like that spin to it. How about what's <laughs> the most valuable right now? And then what do you need to improve the most? Maybe, I'll change, my, my, maybe I'll change my question, Ty. I like that. Yeah. my I'd say the cover is currently the mo one of the most valuable things um you know kentucky is a great place for a deer to be a deer there is food everywhere almost all year long um and 
you know, obviously there's farms around, but there's also a lot of natural good vegetation. Um, they like my food plots, but they don't need them. But when you have other cleared land around you, um, which most of my neighbors have pretty good mixed land as well, but I'd say my my timber area is probably one of the most valued and used by the deer. Yep. Um, improvement, I'd say there's probably things I could, I could probably, it's probably the same answer. I could do a lot more TSI because the food situation is, is doing pretty good with, with the food plots. And we literally have river running through, well, Creek, but it's, it's not just a little Creek. It's, you know, all year long, you know, even in a drought, this thing is still running water. So it's a, it's a constant source of water. Um, so that, uh, I don't, I don't think they're lacking water opportunities either. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to be deep. I'm going to go with both of them are the same answer. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And judging by me knowing what I know about your parcel, um, I think food's easy to, to slide in there. And I think your, your timber is probably more the, the gold mine. Um, just, just based on, on what I know and, and obviously what we've talked about tonight, but, uh, all right. How, how about this? Favorite habitat tool or implement? What do you use the most? Ooh, well, I would love a roller crimper, but I don't have one of those. I would use that a lot. Um, gosh, obviously the tractor, but outside of the tractor, I'm going to say a chainsaw. All right. I like it. Yeah. I like it. And then last but not least, your favorite tree. If you, you know, you've, I'm sure you've heard this question before. Mm-hmm. A lot of different answers on this one. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same, you know, with, with the white oak being probably number one, if I had to guess. Yeah. Obviously here it's going to be white oak, but my favorite tree being from Colorado nice. is an aspen. I love aspens. <laughs> Great answer. Why do you <laughs> love aspens? I love aspens too. I'm not gonna lie, and I don't, and I like calling them an aspen. What else are they called? Well, over here, they up here they call them popple, poplar, or aspen. Oh, I never. Yeah, well, there's no aspen in Kentucky, and it's kind of makes me sad. But I mean, the diversity of uh, trees in Kentucky is obviously vastly greater than in Colorado. But the fact that I've never seen an aspen here, well, unless someone plants them in their, you know, landscaping or something, but uh yeah i was went back home to uh the mountains of colorado a few weeks ago and uh, just the aspens it was like oh my gosh i have missed these so much so yeah aspens my favorite tree i love that answer actually you know they're they're uh up in northern michigan they're they're like i don't want to call them weeds in a a bad term but they're they're everywhere um wow but even when i was hunting the other night with my daughter on sunday uh there was some aspen off to my left and those leaves were rattling up there in that tree and they're golden yellow and the sun's beating on that yellow and that white tree and it's like man it's a gorgeous tree um, yeah, and then the habitat benefits from it too. When you cut them all down, we're 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 cutting a bunch of them on the northern seventy, and we're gonna have aspen shoots and clear cut and food for deer for days. For, for right, well, for years. Do they do they hinge cut well? Like, do they? No, not in particular. I've hinged oh. my fair share of them. Uh, successfully hinged them um, with a habitat hook and some wedges and whatnot, but they don't really survive that well. Um, at least, at least oh. in my experience. So. Yeah, you know, you're, you're better off just felling them and then letting, you know, when you cut an aspen, the roots send out all these, I don't know, I guess alarm signals or whatever you want to call it. And yep. they, sh- 
they shoot up everywhere, right? So that's what happens in a clear cut. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a very, very uh, great tree for, for wildlife habitat uh, at a younger age. And when they get too old, like they are on the northern seventy, I mean, they're they're. I have aspen up there that are three foot diameter, and they're just so oh, wow. old that they just break, you know. Right. But then again, that's it's Mother Nature's way of saying, "Cut the tree down. We'll break you in half, and then all you right. have new ones." So it's it's the same thing, really. Um, but yeah, I like that answer, Ty. I'm a big aspen fan myself. Mm-hmm, obviously. Cool. <laughs> Well, hey, man, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on and telling the story of the, the 25 acres, your, you know, your, your kids, your daughter, the killer, you, you <laughs> bucks down there. And uh, I just wish you a, a great rest of the season. And um, if there's anything you want to close out with or, or plug or people can find you, whatever you want to do, man, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It was an honor being on, you know, I've listened to you guys since podcast number one i think so uh thank so you so it was great being here yeah i appreciate it ty well good luck this fall buddy keep in touch like you've been doing and um love seeing your pictures so thank you appreciate it thank you very much for listening to the habitat podcast guys we will be back with another great episode next week i just want to say once again how grateful we are for the listenership we have and the the loyal listeners you guys have been and supporters of the podcast For those of you who want to support further, we have free decals being sent out to those who leave us great reviews. Scroll down, hit the link to leave a great review, and then email me info at habitatpodcast.com. I'll get you a free five-inch decal in the mail right away. Guys, I want to thank our sponsors. Vitalized Seed Company at vitalizedseed.com. Exodus Outdoor Gear. Packer Max Cultipackers. Morse Nursery. Acres.com. Downburst Cedars, First Light, United Country Midwest Lifestyle Properties. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.